After having stared at Janto for a whole minute, I could not help asking him, Are you feeling well? You seem to be in low spirits today. Janto quickly lost his slightly preoccupied air, gave me a boyish smile and said, No, on the contrary, I'm feeling a lot better. This place is truly wonderful. You've been here before. Did you know how good it was? I had nearly forgotten. Janto sighed. Now some of my memories are coming back slowly. The bungalow certainly appears unchanged. I can even recognize some of the old furniture, such as these cane chairs and table. Vera came in with tea and biscuits, out on a tray. I poured. When did you come here last? 31 years ago. I was six then. We were sitting in the garden of the circuit house in Bundi. We had arrived only that morning. Janto and I were old friends. We had gone to the same school and college. He now worked in the editorial division of a newspaper and I taught in his school. Although we had different kinds of jobs, it had made not much of a difference to our friendship. We had been planning a trip to Rajasthan for quite some time. The main difficulty lay in both of us being able to get away together. That, at last, had been made possible. Most people go to Jaipur, Udaipur or Chittor when they go to Rajasthan. But Janto kept talking about going to Bundi. I had no objection for having read Tavagos' poem, The Fort of Bundi. I was certainly familiar with the name of the place and felt a pleasurable excitement at the prospect of actually seeing the fort. Not many people came to Bundi. But that did not mean that there was not much to see there. It could be that, from the point of view of a historian, Udaipur, Jodhapur and Chittor had a lot more to offer, but simply a beautiful place. Bundi was perfect. However, Jantho's insistence on Bundi did puzzle me somewhat. I learned the reason on train when we were coming down. Jantho's father, Animesh Das Gupta, had worked in the archaeological department. His work sometimes took him to historical places, and Jantho had as a child come to Bundi. He had always wanted to return after growing up, just to see how much the modern Bundi compared to the image he had in his mind. The house was really rather splendid. Built during the time of the British, it must have been at least a hundred years old. It was a single-storied building with a sloping, tiled roof. The rooms had high ceilings and the skylights had long, dangling ropes which could be to be pulled open and shut. The veranda faced the east. Right opposite it was a huge garden with a large number of roses in full bloom. Behind these were a lot of trees which obviously housed a vast section of local birds. Parrots could have been seen everywhere and peacocks could be heard, but only outside the compound. We had already been on a sightseeing tour of the town. The famous fort of Bundi 
was placed amidst the hills. We had seen it from a distance that the day, but decided to go back to take a closer look. The only reminders of modern times were the electric poles. Otherwise, it seemed as though we were back in old Rajputna. The streets were cobbled, the houses had balconies jutting out from the first floor. The carvings done on these and the wooden doors bore evidence of the work of master craftsmen. It was difficult to believe we were living in the age of machines. I noticed Gentle had turned rather quiet after having arrived in Bundi. Perhaps some of his memories had returned. It is easy enough to feel a little depressed when visiting a place one may have seen as a child. Besides, Gentle was certainly more emotional than most people. Everyone knew that. He put his cup down on the table and said, You know, Shankar, it is quite strange. The first time I came here, I used to sit cross-legged on these chairs. It seemed as though I was sitting on a throne. Now the chairs seem both small in size and very ordinary. The drawing room here used to seem absolutely enormous. If I hadn't returned, those memories would have remained stuck in my mind forever. I said, yes, that's perfectly natural. As a child, one is small in size, so everything else seems large. One grows bigger with age, but the size of all the other things remains the same, doesn't it? We went for a stroll in the garden after tea. Gentle suddenly stopped walking and said, Deodhar. I stared at him. A Deodhar tree. It ought to be here somewhere, he said, and began striding towards the far end of the compound. Why did he suddenly think of a Deodhar tree? A few seconds later, I heard his voice exclaiming jubilantly, Yes, it's here, exactly where it was before. Of course, it's where it was before, I said. Would a tree go roaming about? Gentle shook his head impatiently. No, that is not what I meant. All I meant was that the tree is where I thought it might be. But why did you think of the tree? Suddenly, Gentle stared at the trunk of the tree, frowning. Then he shook his head slowly and said, I can't remember that now. Someone had brought me near the tree. I had done something here. A, a European... Uh... European? No, I can't recall anything at all. Memory is a strange business. They had a good cook in the circuit house. Later in the evening, while we sat at the oval dining table having dinner, Jayanto said, The cook they had in those days was called Dilawar. He had a scar on his left cheek and his eyes were always red. But he was an excellent cook. Jayanto's memories began returning one by one soon after dinner when we went back to the drawing room. He could recall where his father used to sit and smoke a cheroot, where his mother used to knit, and what magazines lay on the table. And slowly, in bits and pieces, he recalled the whole business about his doll. It was not the usual kind of doll that little girls play with. One of Janto's uncles had brought it for him from Switzerland, a 12-inch 
long figure of an old man, dressed in traditional Swiss style. Apparently, it was very lifelike. Although it was not mechanized, it was not possible to bend and twist its limbs. Its face had a smile on it and its head. It wore a Swiss cap with a little yellow feather sticking out from it. Its clothes, especially in their little details, were perfect belt, buttons, pockets, collars, socks. There were even little buckles on the shoes. His uncle had returned from Europe shortly before Gentle left for Bundy with his parents. The little old man had been bought in a village in Switzerland. Gentle said, I had a lot of toys when I was small. My parents gave me practically everything I wanted, perhaps because I was the only child. But once I had Fritz, I forgot all my other toys. I played only with him. A time came when I spent hours just talking to him. Our conversations had to be one-sided, of course. But Fritz had such a funny smile on his lips and such a look in his eyes that it seemed to me as though he could have understood every word. Sometimes I wondered if he would actually converse with me, if I could speak to him in German. Now, now it seems like a childish fantasy. But at that time, the whole thing was very real to me. My parents did warn me to not overdo things, but I listened to no one. I had not yet been put in a school. So I had all the time in the world for Fritz. Gento fell silent. I looked at my watch and realized it was 9.30pm. It was very quiet outside. We were sitting in the drawing room of the circuit house. An oil lamp burnt in the room. I asked, what happened to the doll? Gento was still in deep thought. His answer to my question came so late that by the time I had started to think that he had not heard me at all. I had brought it to Bundy. It was destroyed here. Destroyed? How? Janto sighed. We were sitting on the lawn having tea. I had kept the doll by my side on the grass. I was not really old enough to have tea, but I insisted. And in the process, the cup tilted and some of the hot tea fell on my pants. I ran inside to change and came back to find that Fritz had disappeared. I looked around and found quite soon that a couple of stray dogs were having a nice tug of war with Fritz. Although he didn't actually come apart, his face was battered beyond recognition and his clothes were torn. In other words, Fritz did not exist for me anymore. He was dead. And then? Gentle story. Intrigued. What could possibly happen after that? I arranged his funeral, that's all. Meaning? I buried him under that deodar. I buried him under that deodar tree. I had wanted to make a coffin. Fritz was, after all, a European. But I could not find anything. Not even a tiny little box. So in the end, I buried him just like that. At last, the mystery of the deodar tree was solved. We went to bed at around 10. Our room was a large one and our beds had been neatly made. Not being used to doing a lot of walking, I was feeling rather tired after the day's activities. Besides, the bed was very comfortable. I fell asleep 
Barely 10 minutes after hitting the pillow, a slight noise woke me up later that night. I turned on my side and found Gentle sitting on his bed. The table lamp by his bed was switched on and in its light, it was easy to see the look of anxiety on his face. I asked, what is it? Are you not feeling well? Instead of answering my question, Janto asked me one himself. Do you think the circuit house has got small animals? I mean like cats or mice? I shouldn't be surprised if it does. Why? Something walked over my chest. That's what woke me up. Rats and mice usually come in through drains. But I've never known them to climb on the bed. Uh, this is the second time I've woken up actually. The first time I had heard a shuffling noise near the window. Oh, if it was near the window, it was more likely to be a cat. Yes, but... Janto still sounded doubtful. I said, Did you see anything different after you switched on the light? Nothing. But then I didn't switch it on immediately after opening my eyes. To tell you the truth, I rather felt scared at first. But when I did switch it on, there was nothing to be seen. That means whatever came in must still be in the room. Well, since both the doors are bolted from inside, I rose quickly and searched under the bed, behind our suitcases and everywhere else in the room. I could not find anything. The door to the bathroom was closed. I opened it and was about to start another search when Jento called out to me softly. Shankar! I came back to the room. Jento was staring hard at his quilt cover of his quilt. Upon seeing me, he pulled a portion of it near the lamp and said, Look at this. I bent over the cloth and saw tiny brown circular marks on it. I said, Well, this could have been made by a cat. So, after murmuring a few soothing words, such as, Don't worry, I'm here with you. And who knows, those marks may have been on your quilt already when you went to bed. I switched off the light once more and lay down. I had no doubt that Janto had only had a bad dream. All those memories of his childhood had upset him, obviously. And that was what had led to his dreaming of a cat walking on his chest. I slept soundly for the rest of the night. If there was further disturbances, Janto did not tell me about them. But I could see in the morning that he had not slept well. Tonight, I must give him one of the tranquilizers I brought with me, I thought. We finished our breakfast by nine, as we had planned, and left for the fort. A car had already been arranged. It was almost 9.30 by the time we reached. Some of Janto's old forgotten memories began coming back again, though fortunately, they had nothing to do with his doll. In fact, his youthful exuberance made me think he had forgotten all about it. There, there's that elephant on top of the gate. Uh, and the turrets, and here's the bed made out of silver and throne. Look at that picture on the wall. I saw it the last time. But within an hour, his enthusiasm began to wane. I was so engrossed myself that I did not notice it at first. But, while walking through a hall and looking at the chandeliers hanging from the ceiling, 
I suddenly realized Janto was no longer walking by my side. Where was he? We had a guide with us. Babu had gone out to the terrace, he told me. I came out of the hall and found Janto standing absentmindedly near a wall on the other side of the terrace. He did not seem to notice my presence, even when I went and stood beside him. He started when I called him by his name. What on earth is the matter with you? I asked. Why are you standing here looking so morose, even in such a beautiful place like this? I can't stand it. Gentle simply said. Have you finished seeing everything? If so, let's... Had I been alone, I would definitely have spent a little more time at the fort. But one look at Janto made me decide in favour of returning to the circuit house. A road through the hills took us back to town. Janto and I were both sitting at the back of the car. I offered him a cigarette, but he refused. I noticed a veiled excitement in the movement of his hands. One moment, he placed them near the window, then on his lap, and immediately afterwards began biting his nails. Janto was quiet by nature. This odd restlessness in him worried me. After about ten minutes, I could not take it anymore. It might help you if you told me what you're worried about or what your problem is, I said. Janto shook his head. It's no use telling you. You're not going to believe me. Okay. Even if I don't believe you, I can at least discuss the matter with you, can't I? Fritz came into our room last night. Those little marks on the quilt were his footprints. There was very little I could do at this, except catch hold of him by the shoulders and shake him. How could I talk sensibly to someone whose mind is obviously with such an absurd idea? You didn't see anything, did you? I said finally. No. But I could distinctly feel that whatever was walking on my chest had two feet, not four. As we got out of the car at the circuit house, I decided that Janto must be given a nerve tonic or some such thing. A tranquilizer might not be a good enough. I could not allow a 37-year-old man to be upset by a simple memory from his childhood. I said to Janto upon reaching the room, it's nearly 12 o'clock. Should he not be thinking of having a bath? You go first, said Janto, and flung himself on the bed. An idea came to my mind in the bath. Perhaps this was the only way to bring Janto back to normalcy. If a doll had been buried somewhere 30 years ago, and if only one knew the exact spot, it might be possible to dig the ground there. No doubt, most of it would have been destroyed, but it was likely that we'd find just a few things, especially if they were made of metal, such as the buckle of a belt or brass buttons of a jacket. If Janto could actually be shown that that was all that was left of his precious doll, he might be able to get rid of himself in these weird notions. Otherwise, he would have strange dreams every night and talk of Fritz walking on his chest. If this kind of thing was allowed to continue, 
he might go totally mad. Gento seemed to like the idea at first. But after a while, he said, Who will do the digging? Where will you find a spade? I laughed. Since there is a garden, there is bound to be a gardener. And that would mean there's a spade. If we offered him a little tip, I have no doubt that he would have an objection to be digging up the ground near the trunk of a tree as far as the end of the lawn. Gento did not accept the idea immediately, nor did I say anything further. He went and had his bath. After a little bit of persuasion, at lunch, he ate nothing except a couple of chapatis with meat curry, although I knew he was quite fond of his food. After lunch, we went and sat in the cane chairs on the veranda that overlooked the garden. There appeared to be no one else in the circuit house. There was something airy about the silence that afternoon. All we could hear was the noise made by a few monkeys sitting on the Gulmore tree across the cobbled path. Around 3 p.m., we saw a man come into the garden carrying a watering can. He was an old man. His hair, moustache and sideburns were all white. Uh, will you ask him or should I? At this question from Gianto, I raised a reassuring hand and went straight to the gardener. After I had spoken to him, he looked at me rather suspiciously. Clearly, no one had ever made such a request. I laid a friendly hand on his shoulder and said, Don't worry about the reason. I'll give you five rupees. Please do it as you're told. He relented, going so far as to give me a salute accompanied by a broad grin. I beckoned to Gento, who was still sitting on the veranda. He rose and began walking towards me. As he came closer, I saw the pallor on his face. I did hope we would find at least some part of the doll. The gardener, in the meantime, had fetched a spade. The three of us made our way to the Deodor tree. Jayanto pointed at the ground about a yard from the trunk of the tree and said, Aisha? I asked him. Jayanto nodded silently. How much did you dig? Uh, about eight inches. The gardener started digging. The man had a sense of humour. As he lifted his spade, he asked if there was hidden treasure under the ground, and if so, whether we would be prepared to share it with him. I had to laugh at this, but Gentle's face did not register even the slightest trace of amusement. It was the month of October, and not all warm in Bundi. Yet, the collar of his shirt was soaked in sweat. He was staring at the ground unblinkingly. The gardener continued to dig. Why was there no sign of the doll? The raucous cry of a peacock made me turn my head for a moment. And in that instant, Gento made a strange sound. I quickly looked at him. His eyes were bulging. He raised his hand and pointed at the hole in the ground with a finger that was visibly trembling. The spade slipped from the gardener's hand. I, too, gapped at the ground.
open-mouthed in horror, amazement and disbelief. There lay at our feet, covered in dust, lying flat on its back, a 12-inch long, pure white, perfect little human skeleton. <laughs>